Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Tim Bayer, co-founder and CEO of Spherical Media. They specialize in storytelling through videos. By using their background in journalism, they are masters at their craft. Tim grew up in Atlanta and then went to Boston College and then received his master's from Northwestern University before starting his career in television. He has lived all over the country, including Boston, Chicago, Bangor, Hilton Head, and Sydney, Australia. Now he has settled down in Charlotte, North Carolina with his wife and two daughters. His impressive background in reporting lasted nearly a decade before he switched over to being the co-founder of Spherical Media. We are pumped to host Tim on the podcast, so let's jump right in. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you, Tim. Uh, okay, let's, let's start where we always start. I want, I'm curious, how did we get here? What were the series of events that, that led you to what you're doing right now? Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's one of those things where I was in the media space, like you said, for a long time, uh, was a sports anchor for almost 10 years, and then um, really saw local news and local sports deteriorating and going downhill and had a couple buddies here in the market with me in Charlotte that we were starting to think of, okay, what's the next thing? What are we going to do um, in TV? If you're trying to grow and, and move up through the world, uh, you usually have to jump markets. You have to leave and go somewhere else um, and sort of start back over. But at that point, you know, we were getting to the end of our twenties, early thirties, and really didn't want to, um, you know, pick up and move again. And, and we had both found, you know, what became my wife, I was dating her at the time. And, you know, I didn't really have an interest to leave Charlotte. So we would sit up at night having a beer and sort of just trying to think about what's next. And when we started Spherical Media, um, the whole push was working the digital footprint of professional athletes. And we were going with what we knew. And so we started out working with Steph Curry out of the gate. We ran his social media and website for the first three years in the league. Um, he was just a friend of ours from having covered him at Davidson. And wow. so we'd gotten to know him then. And, um, and so that was really a great first client to have out of the gate. Um, we worked with a couple Panthers players. We worked with Ricky Barons as he went on his Olympic run um, with Michael Phelps and the, and that whole swimming team. Wow. Um, so we had some cool, really fun interactions and it was really at a time, this was back in 2011. So social media had gotten a foothold, but athletes were still trying to figure out how to make money out of it. And so they were sort of turning that corner and, um, and so we were really helping them build out authentic content that really started to get some notice from different people. Um, but the more that we worked with athletes, the less we liked working with their agents. And so <laughs> <laughs> really what Makes happened sense. was we pivoted and, uh, and had to make a switch over. Uh, and we started doing video storytelling for businesses. And that was back in about 2013. And from that point on, we've really seen a growth trajectory that's really gone, uh, you know, hockey stickish in that way um, wow. because we just got lucky at a good time to be able to move into video storytelling when really it became uh, a really needed asset for, for all kinds of companies. And, um, and so we started hiring former news, you know, reporters, photographers, people that had all worked in news telling stories their whole career. And then they would come in and now tell stories for businesses. And that, that really gave, gave us a differentiator in the market 
rather than a regular video company. Um, we had journalists that were telling stories now for businesses. Wow. Uh, I'd love to just get back on to when you spent some time uh, as a sportscaster and times in sports media. What, what initially attracted you to that as a career path? So uh, my brother was actually in, in TV as a news anchor. Uh, he was a reporter at the time, but then became a news anchor, still is today. Um, and so in a lot of ways, I followed in his footsteps. He's eight years older than me. It's just the two of us. Um, and so always had that big brother to look up to. Yeah. He really loved what he was doing. It was different every day. He wasn't in an office, really. He was getting out and about, meeting new people all the time. And, and to me, that looked really fun. Um, but I didn't love the news side of stuff. I didn't want to go cover murders and all the things that you have to do in local news. And so, um, so I sort of put a twist on that and went the sports side. And I've always loved sports. And um, it was a great career or path for my 20s. I yeah. would say, you know, once getting to the point of almost, you know, moving down the line of having a family and those kind of things, the hours are, are terrible. You work from, you know, 2.30 in the afternoon to 11 at night, 12 at night. Um, you're traveling a lot. You, um, yeah, it's just not really conducive uh, to that kind of uh, family life. So I had checked off a lot of boxes having, you know, covered Final Fours, Super Bowls, um, the Masters, all those cool things. And um, really just started thinking, okay, there's got to be more than this. And that's, that's really what, what prompted the, the move. Man, I identify uh, a lot with that. I had a, my first career in my 20s, same thing. There's a reason I got into it. I loved it, was passionate about it, but it did come to a necessary ending. And it was prompted internally, just like yours, versus externally. Yeah. Some people are forced to pivot, and then others just have something pop up inside that says, what's next, right? right. Did that – did that scare you at first? Was it exciting? Was it a mixture of both? What was that like? I think it was exciting because we were sort of charting our own path. Um, at the same time, coming from local news, you're not really making a lot of money. So the risk didn't feel like that big of a jump. Um, mm. You know, I've, I, and being in my late 20s, you know, early 30s, I also didn't have a family, didn't have a wife all the things that would, you know, make you really scared to go try and just find a paycheck. Yeah. Um, those things weren't there at the time. And so it was a real sort of free moment that we could take a risk and, you know, if it didn't work, it didn't work and we could move on and find something else. But yeah, um, it was, it's a very unique window that if I tried to do that today, I would be, you know, second guessing myself nonstop just because I'd be worried that it just doesn't, uh, it isn't going to work out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that window, like you talked about, is something that would haunt you if you don't take advantage of it, right? So when I made my jump, I just had this idea pop in my head, you know, almost a philosophy that was humans can heal from being hurt, but we have a hard time healing from being haunted, right? And most of us are haunted by the things we wish we had done that we didn't, right? And it's like, but we're afraid of the pain. We're afraid of, but what if I take a chance and it fails and I'm embarrassed in front of my friends, you know, and I right. waste money. And it's like, dude, you can get over that. We can get over that pain. But what you have a hard time moving on is all the dreams that never got a chance, you know, all the ideas that didn't get a chance. Um, so for you, how long was the gestation period of entertaining something might be next to having the idea that you ended up going for with the athletes and storytelling? Yeah, so my business partner now, Jared Latch, uh, 
he and I were living in a house with five guys on the west side of Charlotte. It was like a, you know, old school house sort of feeling. Yeah. Um, and uh, we would, like I said, sit up and have beers. And that was probably about a year or so that we were having those conversations and sort of working through it and trying to figure it out. Uh, then we started the company in March of 2011, um, but we straddled, you know, for, for the beginning of the business. So, you know, before I came on full time to Spherical Media, it was not until November of 12. So it was almost a year and a half later. Wow. That I was still working in sports and doing that, but then also getting Spherical off the ground. Um, Jared was our first full time employee at the time. And so he was working his butt off. And then we had a third co-founder, Bill Voth. And uh, he was also straddling. He was still doing sports anchoring and then also starting the company. And so um, that also took some pressure off us because we didn't need to make three salaries worth of money right off the bat. Um, we all had some kind of income coming in while we were still getting this thing off the ground. Yeah. Um, but then one fall afternoon, and I guess it was probably September of 2012, uh, Bill came in to where we were working and, uh, and basically said, well, I quit my job today. And hadn't told anybody that that's what he was going to do. He just got fed up with his boss and, and pulled the trigger. And, uh, and we were all like, really? Okay. And, uh, and then just a couple months later in November, Bill and Jared sat me down and basically said, you're either in or you're out. Um, because now we're starting to have a lot of work and you're still out covering, you know, NFL games and we need to actually get this work done. And so um, that's really when I said, okay, I'm jumping too. And, and so wow. very quickly, we were all three in it and, and going with it. Man, it's super cool that you guys were able to grow the business enough in that year and a half that it could support three, three incomes. I mean, that's, that's we, impressive. We were really lucky. And I think, um, you know, having been in TV and in journalism and local news stuff, you had a lot of contacts in the market. And so we were able to lean on that very early on. And that, I think, really helped us um, in growing and finding those, you know, that Rolodex was a lot bigger than it would have been if we were in some other industry or some other job. And yeah, I've since had, you know, several uh, former sports anchors that have started similar companies to us that I, you know, help talk to and talk them through what they can do and how they're growing. But there's a lot of unique talents that come away from being in the news business. You know, you're underpaid, you're overworked, uh, you work on deadline. Um, you know, you're always having to meet new people and be able to be facing, um, so there's just a lot of things that come with somebody that's been in that environment that uh, it gives you just a unique advantage. Yeah, man, I love that way of thinking. That was one of the things that helped me with my transition was thinking, what is the crossover here? What could I take with me that might be an advantage or valuable from what I spent my 20s doing? And it was skills and it was connections, right? Yep. So it's like there's certain skills. If I look at it, there's a guy named Josh Waitskin who used to be a boy prodigy chess chess master. And at some point he was done playing chess. And it was like, what do I do? Like I've spent since I was five playing chess. And he said he had this idea of transferable skills. And he said, I wonder if I could take things that I learned in chess and apply it to another area of my life and realize he could. And that got me thinking like, all right, well, I learned how to communicate. I learned how to teach. I learned how to connect all these kinds of things. How could I bring it over here and leverage that in a different sphere? You guys brought the connections, obvious. Storytelling to me, obvious. Was there anything else that you saw that was developed in you as a skill, as a value offer kind of thing that you were able to bring out of media and into what you're doing right now? 
Yeah, you know, that's actually a tremendous point because that is one of the conversations we had is, you know, what I would always say is, listen, I've been doing this for 10, 11 years now. I don't want to lose everything I did and learned here. And so whatever we do, we have to use those talents in whatever we go for. And so yeah. um, I would say, yes, the storytelling, those pieces, I think the being on deadline, um, that is one of the greatest talents you can have to be up against it and be able to problem solve quickly. Um, yeah. You know, in TV stations, equipment's break, equipment breaks all the time. You know, things fall apart. Um, you could be live on the air and, you know, the tape that you're supposed to roll doesn't roll and you have to be able to think on your feet. And so yeah. those skills really are valuable, not only from us for business owners and entrepreneurs, but I think for our entire team when they're working in the field with different businesses. And so, yeah, there are a lot of those intangibles and tangible skills that come over from that world that, that have really benefited us as a company. Amazing. Makes total sense. When you guys pivoted, if we move forward in your story a little bit, when you pivoted yeah. from working with the digital footprint of athletes to storytelling for businesses, was that an easy decision or a tough decision? Um, it was pretty easy. So similar to what we were talking about, you know, being pushed when you make the transition in your life, we were pushed a little bit in this transition in that one of our biggest um, social media clients that we were managing their social media was a company here in Charlotte um, had chosen to go with another agency and left us. And that was a big hit. Um, and we said, it was pretty crazy. We had hired um, David Cronodal, who's our chief creative officer now. We had just hired him in 2013. And we brought him to the first, to a meeting with this client. We're like, oh, we want you to introduce you to them, get to meet them. And literally at that meeting, they no. let us go. No. And, and I can remember like walking out of that meeting and I could see on his face, like, holy crap, what did I do? Like, why did I come here? <laughs> and, uh, and I said to the guys, I said, listen, this is going to be, end up being a good thing, not a bad thing. Let's go celebrate and have lunch. And we went and had like a really nice lunch and wow. we went away from the, you know, what was me? And it really pushed us to pivot to that video storytelling piece. And, you know, at the time we were doing social media management for companies and we were throwing video in as like a teaser or something to pull them in. And then everything changed and we went to, they pay for the video and we left behind websites and social. And we really mm. tried to specialize in, in one piece of the puzzle. Um, and what that also did was that allowed us to then be, you know, a tangential piece to other agencies. Cause a lot of agencies aren't investing in and don't want to spend for video. Um, and so what we can do is we can come along and couple up with an agency rather than being taken out of the picture. And so that's really been a big difference for us. Interesting. Well, I want to highlight just how high level, um, that moment was for you in, in terms of your leadership that you got this new guy on board with one of your biggest <laughs> clients, they fire you in the middle of his first meeting and you had, you had the leadership IQ to know, like, I got to keep, I got to spend this. I got to keep yeah. the morale high. Let's go celebrate. What was that easy for you to do? Do you just naturally think that way? Or was that a conscious decision? Like, Hey, I, I need to, I think there was a little fake it till you make it in there. Yeah. I yeah. think that was definitely in there. And I think there was a, you know, I really saw sort of the writing on the wall at that point. And I thought, you know, the, the reason we had hired Dave was because he was so great at video. And so we were already starting down that road. And now this was really the thing that was going to push us over and not let us straddle. And yeah. allow us to put all of our, you know, side, one side. I'll tell you one other good piece to that story. Not only did we bring Dave to the, to this meeting, we also brought a birthday cake for the client because it was his birthday. 
And so that was really awkward because we put the cake <laughs> on the table and he's just like, oh, I now feel really bad. And uh, so still to this day, when I run into him, I'm like, you know, you still owe me a cake. Um, so it's, it's pretty did you good. make him did you make him blow out the candles after he after he fired yeah. <laughs> we didn't even get to the candle part it was pretty much over <laughs> we did leave the cake we didn't take it with us oh that would have been epic if you took the cake <laughs> i know i know it's uh, like uh it's like wedding crashers that's what i was gonna say <laughs> i was just gonna say it's like wedding crashers. it's a gift todd i'm taking it with me <laughs> that's right Oh man, those are the moments that I love hearing about in everyone's story because there's just these gut punch moments where as a business owner, you get blindsided by something. You, I mean, at the beginning of the pandemic, we were two months yeah. into, into this company. You know, my business partner and I had separate business entities. We joined them together, hired some people in January of 2020. Oh man! And you have your big plans, you know, like we already have these clients because I brought my book of clients. He brought his book of clients. We hired some people and then we lose 36% of our income in two weeks, you know? Yep. And you just, it, it's like, it's not unique. It's painful and it feels unique to you, but it's somewhere along everyone's journey. You're going to have these, man, holy crap. How are we going to respond to this? As you talk to other entrepreneurs, like I'm sure you do, do you have any encouragement for maybe it's the mental or emotional resilience or perspective to get through those times that just are inevitable. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, so I'm a member of the entrepreneurs organization EO. Uh, yeah. and so really here uh, in Charlotte, it's a great group because, you know, I'm young in that group. Um, and a lot of those business owners have gone through all of this, you know, all of these things that, you know, I find, find out for the first time or this, you know, you know, thing that you've got to go against in university. Um, and, you can really easily, the way EO works, which is, I think, one of the most beautiful things about it, is it, it isn't about telling somebody how to do something. It's about experience share. And so you're in this situation. Well, here's what I did when I was there or something mm. similar. And so mm. it's never prescriptive. It's always talking about your experience and what you went, and then they can gain something from your experience. Yeah. Um, and I found that to be so valuable in so many different situations. Um, and then I would say, you know, the thing that was different about this year with the pandemic, you know, we all go through these ups and downs, but we all went through the down at the same time. Yeah. It's such a weird thing for everybody to be in the same boat at once, which has never happens. Um, and so from that standpoint, it was, it was really, you know, inspiring to see the people that were clawing through and getting through. I mean, you said 36%, we were down 62% in Q2 year over year. Wow. Um, so we got hammered. And then we ended up being able to claw out of it the second half of the year. Um, but it was, you know, it was scary. You didn't know we'd never gone through that. We'd always been rising, you know, and this Inc. Yeah. 5000 list came out, yeah. you know, really on the back end of our continuing rise. It doesn't include, you know, the pandemic in it. And so, you know, now I think they're going to have a totally different list this year because all these people got hit. <laughs> And so it's yeah. going to be like mask makers, cleaner people, toilet Zoom. paper, you know, Zoom. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be a different list for sure. Yes, man. Zoom came out like robbers on this one, man. I mean. I will I'll, say I did buy Zoom stock in March. I was very happy that I did that. Well so. done. So did one of my friends and I just didn't do it. I'm a dummy. <laughs> I am such a dummy. I mean, they came out so well at this. You could you could swear they had somebody working in the Wuhan lab out there or something, you know? That's right. I know. 
They were well, perfectly the, positioned. What was it? The, the CDC came out and said now that you can't get Corona from surfaces. And I'm thinking like all the cleaner companies are all yes. like, shh, don't yeah. say anything. <laughs> we're having the greatest year ever. <laughs> Bleach for everybody. Exactly. Oh, God. Man, it's a little bit PTSD to go back to that moment, but I'll tiptoe. I'll tiptoe there. I know what it was like on my end. What was it like on your end? You lose all that revenue right away. We're in unprecedented waters. Like you said, everyone, it's happening to everyone, and we're not sure when or what's going to change next. You know? Yeah. How did you guys navigate, let's say, March through June or March through July, something like that? It, yeah, it was scary. Um, so, in the beginning, you know, it's funny to think back on March, you know, you're, you're at this point and you're like, okay, if we close for two weeks, this thing's going to go away. Yep. We're all going to sit in our homes for two weeks and we'll flatten the curve and everything will be fine. And we're saying this now a year later in the same position <laughs> almost, which is nuts. Um, but I can remember that. So we had hope and we were sort of trying to, you know, push through it. Then two weeks became three, then became four. And one of our, um, so our clients, we call them partners. Um, one of our partners, Everfi, a company out of DC. They're a tech education company. We've been working with them for nine years now. And I got on a call with their CEO, uh, Tom Davidson. And I said, Tom, I don't know what the heck is going on. Like, I don't know what we're going to do here. I'm definitely scared. And Tom's been a family friend for years. Mm. And so you can really, you know, shoot it straight. And he said, listen, I've talked to 20 different CEOs of top companies. And he said, they're all just laying off 20% of their workforce. He's like, they're all going to cut and they're going to come back stronger on the back end of this, but they've got to cut because he said, right now, your responsibility isn't to your employees. It isn't to you. It's to the business. And you got to make sure that the business survives or else none of those employees will have a job at the end of this thing. Right. And I can remember thinking, oh my God, we're not going to cut 20%. I mean, we only have 15 people. So that's three people we have to get rid of. Um, and so we step, kept pushing it, pushing it. We got PPP. Yeah. Um, and that I'll, I'll attribute to EO again, you know, in our group in EO, everybody was like, okay, this bank's doing it. This bank's not here's, and it was a really open communication. Yeah. And I felt very fortunate that we were able to get in on it early. Um, and so that pushed us through to the end of June and the end of June, that money ran out. And so we ended up eliminating three positions, uh, mm. beginning of July. And that was the hardest thing I've ever gone through because it wasn't anything that they did specifically yeah. it was yeah. just the situation we were in and we had to figure out the positions that we could eliminate and still maintain revenue and be able to continue to grow um and so that's what we did and it was really hard because at that point you know everybody is still you know our friends yeah um, we're yeah. small enough that that's the case and um so that was that was the probably the lowest point um and every year in july well june or july we we throw what we call um the swarm or uh, it's, it's spherical media where bee spiracles are the tiny holes on the bee that make the buzzing sound. Mm. So we have swarm, which is our offsite retreat every year. And we bring the team together and we sort of think big level, what we can do, what we got to work on this year, that kind of stuff. Cool. And so we had swarm last year, but it was on site here. We opened the office back up in the middle of June and um, it was a weird like feeling, like being oh, yeah. in there, having just laid off three people, having to walk everybody through about here's the future, here's what we're going toward. We're gonna to get to the other side of it. Um, and I will give my, my co-founder, you know, Jerry, my business partner, a lot of credit in that he and I are a really good yin and yang. And he's very, 
you know, centered, down to earth. How are we gonna get things done? I'm very in the clouds, vision, big picture stuff. And so we work really well together. Um, and he was really, you know, strong through this and trying to think how we could tactically get through all this. And, yeah. um, and so we got there and about August, the, uh, the faucet turned back on and people started realizing they hadn't been marketing for five months and they needed to figure it out. And, um, and so we, we dug hard and we were, we had our biggest quarter ever in Q4 of last year. Wow. Um, so it was a pretty insane flip around to go from yeah. Q2 or it was, you know, crickets to then Q4, we couldn't keep up with everything. Um, so it's, uh, we learned a lot. We learned, you know, I think we learned more about, you know, the strengths and the weaknesses of our team and what we needed, gaps we needed to fill. And I don't think we ever would have figured that out if we hadn't had the pandemic. Yes. Um, and so we come out of it smarter now and having, you know, we've already filled a couple of the gaps that we noticed and saw and found. Um, and so it's, it, it, you know, in a weird way, it's made us better. Yeah. Um, and so it's that whole adversity makes you stronger. I think we really figured out a lot of things because we had had, you know, we just had our 10th birthday in March and we had had a really good rise and things were going well. And, you know, sometimes in success, you, you'll look over some of the warts. Um, and so having gone through that, it actually, I think, made us much stronger. And now so the good. people that we're hiring are just so talented. Um, and it's really it's really fun to like go into the interviews and these people are, you know, all rock stars and that's exactly what we needed to bring in. And so it's, it's a cool, cool experience to be in now. Man, that's so cool. Yeah. For us, I remember, uh, first me and my co-founder called each other and said, this is the time to either, you know, bail or commit. And I'm going to give you a few days. I'll take a few days, but like we're going to have to decide now, not later if we're going to yep. see this through no matter what, or if we need to go to some safer option. And both of us came back and said, dude, there's nothing else I'd rather do. And nobody else would rather do it with like, let's ride this thing out. So we did that first. And then I was, my perspective was this is forced innovation that often innovation is chosen by few and luxury moments that have the eyes to see it for everybody else. It's forced. You know, like something comes along and, and makes you pivot or makes you entertain creative solutions or whatever. So let's choose forced innovation and let's take time to do things that we typically wouldn't have time or choose time to do. And just like that, like clarity on the business, looking at the health of the organization, all that kind of stuff. Right. And I look back and my where we are today literally wouldn't again, I wouldn't wish it over again. Sure. Uh, and it by never. I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. But. I'm like, we came out so much stronger. I had one client, so we do coaching mm -hmm. for executives and for fast-growing companies. And one of my clients was small. So we have everything from Fortune 500, Inc. 5000 to a solopreneur. And his business literally went over, away overnight. So he's a custom fabricator for like events. So he can build anything you could imagine for your company event or your big, like you've seen Dude Perfect? Mm-hmm. He did all of the dude perfect stuff for their world tour. You know, like he can just build anything. But sure. everything live got shut down. Yeah. He literally had zero income coming in, but he was smart and he'd been saving every year of the business and he had enough runway for like a year. And so I said, dude, you've been working so hard in the business. I haven't been able to get you to work on the business. Work on the business. Like take time to work on the business so that when the water comes, you're ready. We kept talking about Noah. I was like, dude, you're going to be Noah. 
I was like, build your ark, bro. Like build, build the thing exactly like you want it. So that when the water, when the, he said the faucet gets turned back on, you're going to be ready for it. And now he's working with Nike and he's working with all these big companies. Cause when, he, when they came calling, he, he, he was, was ready. ready. Oh, he was so yeah. ready. He knew exactly what he was doing. He had upgraded his machinery. He had went, got several new certifications. Like he had done all of this stuff and is waiting so that when the waters came on, they were not just available, but they were prepared. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was just so cool. So it sounds similar to, to you guys as well. Yeah, we had. Um, so it's funny. We, I know you've probably heard of EOS, the entrepreneur operating system. And oh, so yeah. We had started implementing on March 4th of last year. We had our first uh, meeting of, with our implementer and we came away from that meeting and then, you know, skies fall uh, March 15th or roundabout. And, you know, the question we had was, OK, do we continue trying to push through and implementing this thing or do we just pause it and wait till we get to the other side? And yeah. You know, similarly, we sat and we said, you know, we're never going to have this much time on our hands to work on stuff. And so we pushed forward and implemented EOS during this whole process. And now, you know, coming on the back end, you know, transparency within the company, the ability to know clarity uh, exactly on our objectives, what we're trying to go at, um, what our 10 year goal is or three year, all that kind of stuff. We're now sharing that with the team. And, you know, we never did that before. And yeah. um, and so that's totally changed a lot of where we're at and how we're growing and what we're doing. And I think um, that one decision was, you know, it was tough at the time because it's not cheap to have an implementer doing, you know, those meetings. They're like 5k a pop. Yep. And when you don't have money and you're running low on cash and you're like, do we keep doing this? Yeah. Um, we, we stuck with it and I'm, I'm so happy we did. I think uh, it's definitely changed us and made us stronger. Heck yeah. You're not the first person to mention EOS on the podcast, which is cool to hear. And I was about to say, I made this mistake in an earlier podcast saying that my partner and I are EOS, EOS implementers. We were, and then I don't know if you heard, but EOS changed their business model and it cut a lot of certain People consultants. Out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't, it wasn't enough income for us to go the full the certification deal. Yeah. 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 So oh, we still use the principles and all that kind of stuff. But anyways, we're well-versed in EOS. We just updated our own VTO two Fridays ago uh, for our quarterly planning meeting for our rocks and all that kind of stuff. So again, anybody listening to the podcast, it's not the only thing out there that's the best I've found for organizing your vision to get, turn it into traction. It's really stinking good stuff. Uh, you can also, if people don't want to go the full formal route, you can read the book traction, mm -hmm. uh, which is fantastic as well. So man, has there been, as we talk about kind of these business strategy or even some of the, the work you've done on the business, as you look back at the whole of the business, the whole journey, are there any other milestones that stick out of lessons you learned or investments you made? You mentioned EO, you've mentioned EOS, which came out of EO. Um, anything else that you guys have just learned as, as the business owners? Um, I think we've learned, you know, a lot of, we learned a lot in the last year, to be honest. So, sure. you know, we're 10 years in and I think we probably learned 10 years worth of stuff in a year. That's right. Um, yeah. And so I, you know, I'm always constantly thinking of just this past year, but I think we've really learned about, you know, the, the type of people that work well in our system um, and hiring the right people. So, you know, I, I don't think we were really good hires early on. I think we got lucky. Um, and mm. I think now we're at the point that we are, you know, very determined about who we're trying to bring in and what those people can do and can bring to the table and how we can help them grow too. I think 
Um, our focus has always been on helping educate um, our employees, helping them grow. And, you know, it, it was weird for the longest time. It was like, I just want them to stay here forever, you know, and be like a family. Um, and we had our first like rock star producer. I use the word rock star too much, but um, <laughs> she was awesome. And she, she's great. And she was associate producer for us. And she just took a job with uh, Hoover and Dirt Devil as their head of video production. Mm. And at first, when she came in and told me, I was like, oh, God, come on. And then, you know, after a little bit of time of sulking, um, I really started to think that, you know, we're at the point now where people are leaving us to go to these huge corporate jobs. And so we've positioned them yeah. to be able to take on these roles. And so there's, there's a sense of pride in that. And so the idea of that the same team is going to be here in 10 years, I'm okay with it now that that's not going to be the case. It might be a bigger team. There's going to be more people. There will definitely still be some of the core uh, pieces yeah. here, but I'm, I'm okay with people growing and moving on. And I think that took me a lot of time as maturity as a business owner sure. to get to that point. I think for the longest time, I just wanted to hold everybody in and keep them, you know, as part of this, yeah. this little group. And I think now we're at the point that we feel comfortable with the fact that people are going to move on and they're going to find their dream jobs. And I'm going to be proud and happy and, and excited and stay in touch. Super cool. I love that. I mean, it is, it is a very hard transition to make because you care a lot about what you're building and you believe a lot in what you're building. And it's hard to balance that with knowing, Hey, but there's other, there's other reasons that someone may have for going somewhere else and that's okay, but that's hard. You know, I, yeah. I, I get that. There's a lot of emotion tied into it and you have to be able to separate the two. And sometimes that emotion needs to change from, you know, jealousy or being upset that they're leaving to, you know, the, the pride part that that's, that's the flip that I've been able to make. And that's, that's really freed me up to feel good about our team and, and continuing to pour into them and, and find ways for them to grow and learn. And yeah, you know, hopefully we get back to the fact that we have conferences and trainings and that kind of stuff here soon and, and they could start going to that stuff. Yeah. Let's talk about that. What, what does it look like for you guys to invest in your people's growth? Yeah. I mean, so, we have a basically a system set up that they can come to us with any kind of teaching, learning, online course, any of that kind of stuff, and essentially petition to be able to get it paid for by the company. Cool. Um, so that's one piece. I think the other piece is we are actively um, always interdisciplinary training within our company. So really this last two years, the focus has been, you know, we've got some people that are really good at After Effects editing, some people that are really good at shooting, some people are really good at lighting. And so those people that are those leaders in those areas now training the rest of the team to be able to be up to speed so that everybody, you know, raises the, the rising tide, lifts all boats. Yeah. So that's, that's really been our focus the last two years. Now it'll probably be more external learning uh, things as we get out of this pandemic and that we can start sending people around. Yeah. Okay. So that's really cool. I want to talk about the interdisciplinary training. I haven't heard that yet, but it reminds me of kind of the updated way of thinking about sports, right? So yeah. I grew up in sports. The, the, the common thing was you got to pick one thing right. and play that only and learn that only. And I still remember crying in, in middle school because my soccer coach had made it a, like a, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, yeah, that I either go full-time soccer and quit baseball or I had to choose baseball and not be on his team. 
And because that was the thinking, like if you're really going to excel, like you can't right. play two sports, you got to do this year round. But now they're coming back and saying, actually, there's benefit if these players played multi sports and and mm -hmm. don't get burned out and learned other skills and coordination and whatever. And I think it's starting to trickle into the business world as well, that you're not just siloing off the sections of your business and they only do this and they only do this. So what have you seen be the benefits of those moments that you guys are, are cross collaborating? Yeah, I mean, so we've done it to a small portion. It's really been inside the production department. So we have okay. 12 people inside the production, 10 to 12. And really it's been, you know, somebody excels at this skill set. We're going to teach everybody about that skill set and bring them up. Um, and so that's been the, the one piece. Now what we're starting to do is teaching our salespeople marketing and teaching our marketing people sales. So cool. those two sides are not, you know, butting heads. Yes. And so when we built out our L10s, um, we purposely built a sales and marketing L10. So they're in the same room. They have the same issues. They can bitch and moan about each other, but we're all going to be able to figure out um, the answer to the question together. Mm. And so that, that's been, you know, a big help for us too, is being able to, you know, through EOS, put a lot of that stuff on the table. It doesn't, you know, fester, it doesn't hang out there and you're able to clear the air pretty quickly and be honest and open. So cool. And I love that too. The, the, it's so funny to me that often the sales and marketing will be opposing forces when they're meant to be such complementary, you know, efforts towards landing, yep. landing new clients. Right. It's so uh, true. So it's it interesting when you see them start to work together. It's like, finally, I knew you guys would get along. <laughs> you know? This makes sense. You got a lead. You closed it. Wow. Yes. Yeah, like it's meant to be. Yeah. You got to work and together. Just naturally when you, you feel your territory being stepped on. You get a little, you know, the hair on the neck goes up. You get a little defensive. Self-preservation. side does that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, super smart. Uh, again, I haven't heard that as well. Super smart to have them in the same L10 meeting. That alone, that, that process is going to do some of the heavy lifting of getting them on the same page and working through the same problems and not having siloed meetings. That's really cool. Um, for the listener, L10 is just a meeting that and a meeting cadence that EOS uh, encourages people to to go in where they're going through the headlines. They're going through key updates on things they set out as rocks or priorities and at the end working through the issues. Um, so that's what he means by L10. As we talked about um, looking into the future, just to wrap up before we get the lightning round, what is an exciting thing that's got your brain right now? I know you're the visionary. You like being up above the clouds. As you look a year out, three years out beyond, what are some things – that you wouldn't mind sharing on the podcast uh, that excites you about the future of the company? Yeah. Um, let's see. So one is uh, on our VTO, you know, you have your 10 year target. Our yep. 10 year target is to be working with 25 fortune 1000 companies um, and to get an Oscar or Emmy nomination. And Heck so yeah. um, what that's done is it's put the stake on the, on the, you know, on the wall that says, guys, we're going to come up with our own creative content we're not only going to create content for our, our partners, our clients. Um, and so the original content space is something that we are going to really start playing in. And as we reach toward that 10 year goal, either through documentary, mini series, um, those type of uh, different places that we can go and try and get one of those awards, that's what we're going to go after. And so that's sort of that big hairy goal that's up there. Yeah. Um, and we're pretty pumped about it. It was, it took some, you know, some fleshing out in one of our, you know, quarterly meetings and going through what is that goal going to be. And I think it really encapsulated putting something on the, on the board that 
you know, seems a little bit out of reach, but it is attainable. And, and so that's what we're really going to go after. Killer. Can we play a, can we play a little thought exercise live here on, on the interview? Sure. Cause I, I think it'd be fun for, so we have a lot of business owners listening to this. You can, you can do this as well. Uh, it's just a thought exercise I like to do with people when we're thinking about the future. So you mentioned 10 years, it could be next quarter. It could be a year, however far out you want to think. Um, but for you, 10 years, I want to do two things. So one, if that were to succeed, so it would be, what, 2031. You guys mm-hmm. are working with 25 Fortune 1000 companies. You won an Emmy. Was it an Emmy? Emmy or Oscar. An Emmy, an Emmy or Oscar. That's a reality. And we're celebrating. We have you back here on the Zero to 5000 podcast to celebrate <laughs> it. What would you imagine being the one thing? And I know it would be multiple things. But what would you imagine the one thing that you would accredit to that dream coming true? Again, it's all hypothetical because we're doing vision. Like, what sure. went right? What's the one thing you think would have been critical to getting there? I think our team. I think um, I'm quick to credit them today, but I know that I would be crediting them then too. I think that um, having the right team to be able to discern what the right story or the first original content that we're going to go after, mm. um, that is really what's going to catapult us to that point. I know that we have the technical skills and all of those things. Those things are already in the can, but choosing the right um, story that we're going to tell is really going to be the differentiator for us being able to get to that kind of level. Um, and so it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of uh, research. Sure. And, and, but I think it's going to be having the right team to be able to discern what that, what that topic was, what that you know, storyline was, and then, and then nailing it. Knocking and what, it apart. what did that team hypothetically do to develop that ability that you're talking about between now and then? That's a good question. Um, I think the the biggest piece is we are in a environment as a company where we build content for people that are asking us to build it. And so the mental change that's going to have to happen is we're building content that's going to be advertiser driven. It's not going to be paid for by a client and we're going to have to do it on our own and it's speculative. And mm. that is a big mind shift change. Um, and that's what we're going to have to focus on in being able to do that in order to be able to get to that point. God, this is why I do this exercise. Cause it's so fun <laughs> to see what comes out. Cause you start thinking like, okay, I think I actually have an idea of what we need to get there. And that's a subtle, but big mindset shift going yeah. from make to order to making something imaginatively or betting that this is, the thing that's going to attract the advertisers and whatever, you're right. That's a very big, in the creative process, that's a big change. Huge. So, Killer. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about it. I think, uh, you know, we're not going to leave behind the other half of the business, but I think that there's a future in that original content piece. And I think, you know, as you look at where things are going in our market um, and in our space, that's a, that's a big spot. And now there's so many platforms that need content. And so there's a hunger for new pieces of content. And so if you can do it really well, you can, you can get successful quickly. Well, f- to your defense, if any of your team is listening, that's not a part of that effort. I forced him to pick one thing to highlight one thing in that imaginary future that got, that got him there. But obviously, like you said, there's gonna be multiple revenue streams in the business sides of the business that are going to be growing with that as well, that are critical to that, to that happening. But I, I was forcing you on purpose to pick one thing just cause I was curious what emerged. And now sure. I want to do the opposite. 
if 10 years from now you've missed that target in a regrettable way? Because sometimes we miss targets in a way that we're completely fine with. We just we made our best guess, and the future was different than we thought, and that's totally fine. But if we regrettably missed that target, what would be your instinct right now? Here's why we failed to achieve that dream. We didn't dive in with both feet. Mm. We half-stepped half it. Um, I think out of fear of not finding that success, you basically go half measure and you don't, you don't own it. And that's, yeah. that would be where I would see success not happening is if you have to, you know, jump in, um, yeah. eventually. And there, yes, there's time for, you know, research testing and, the ideas and testing yeah. and all those kind of things, but you have to jump in. And if we didn't jump in full, that would be where I could see it. not happening. Super cool, man. Thank you for doing that exercise with me. The first time we've sure. done that on the podcast, um, and if any, again, if anyone's listening, this is just a fun way to, to test your own intuition around some of the subtle things we don't always plan for. But just imagine that goal that you've already set. What do you think is one thing that made sure you got there? And then really visualize if you were to miss that goal, what's the thing calling out to you that you might have overlooked or what went wrong? Uh, and you can really save yourself a whole lot of pain on the process to get there. All right, friend, let's do our five lightning round questions. And... Um, then we'll, we'll let you get to the rest of your Monday. Sounds so, good. number one, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that message be? Team first. Um, for us, it is, you know, I talked earlier about being a family um, and knowing that that can't always be how an organization's built, uh, but we are a team. And so looking out for the person at the desk next to you, the person in the other room, um, and making sure that, you know, everything you're doing is, is elevating the team. Love that. Number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also what was the worst? <laughs> the worst, that's a good one. <laughs> um, so the single best, I think, um, huh, that's a good one. I had somebody tell me early on when we started the company and it was just the three of us, um, they told me it won't get real until you have employees. Mm. And uh, they were right. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, at that point you have responsibility. You start to feel the pressure of people putting food on the table for their family. Yeah. And that changes your perspective completely. And so I, I, I appreciate that they sort of laid that out there. I was like, really? I mean, I'm feeling it's pretty real now. <laughs> but having looked on it, looked back on it now and where we're at, and as we continue to grow and get more and more people, um, that is definitely something that, that stuck with me. So if somebody's starting out, you know, realize that, yes, it's hard and it's a slog and you got to get started. But it, it gets real when you got people that you're having to pay salaries to, benefits. All so, that true. so true. So true. Right, how about the worst? The worst. The worst. Ah, that's a good one. Um, hmm. It can be directly given to you or it could be advice you've heard Something floating around heard. the industry. It's funny because I don't focus on the worst. I try and focus on the best stuff. Um, <laughs> so I try and block out. It's like when you go to Vegas and you only remember the trips where you won. <laughs> that's right. Same, same type of I've thing. never lost money before at the, at yeah, the, at the craft table. I always went to Vegas. Exactly. Um I mean, the worst, I think, you know, this sort of flips it because we ended up going a different direction. But I think when we were starting out, people were trying to be all things to everyone. Yeah. And the agency model is something that can get very bloated and very big. And um, 
So I had people early on that were trying to tell us, you know, you've got to be a marketing agency. You've got to be able to do all of these things. You have to have all the tools in order to be able to work with these big companies. And at the time that was true. Yeah. Um, the market has come around to the fact that, you know, big fortune 500 companies are knocking on our door just for us to do the video piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And that wasn't the case back when we started. And so I don't know that they're, they're, you know, they were actually wrong at the time, but it, it did come around to the point that they now realize that they can get not only better pricing, but they can get better quality by going to specializing firms and using multiple vendors. And that's what they're starting to figure out. Cool. Love that answer. All right. Number three, what causes you the most worry or stress leading your organization? Um, somebody once told me that business is great without employees or customers. Um, <laughs> and other than that, it's great. Um, no, I think the most worry, I, I mean, you know, this past year was very worrying. I think that was, that was, that still is fresh in my mind and, you know, making payroll during that and figuring all that out. Um, but on the day to day, I think where my place is in my accountability chart and where I am, one of my big, uh, charges is, is culture and being able to keep the culture here. And so where I can get concerned is as we do get bigger, you know, 15 now, we want to be at 30 in three to five years. Yeah. If we double that, does that get lost? And how do we maintain um, all of those high touch pieces that we have in place now when we have fewer people? And so that's, that's probably one of my biggest worries is just making sure that that still is intact as we continue to grow bigger and bigger. Love it. Uh, number four, you already answered, so I'm not going to ask it again, <laughs> but number four was supposed to be what's your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal. Oh, so nice. you've given us that already. Number five, this is our creative question. See with it or do with it what you will. If you could hop into a DeLorean, go back to the past and tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window, when would you go back and what would you tell your younger self? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, and you I can't say back. invest in Bitcoin. That's too easy. Yeah. Right. That's an easy one. No, I think I would tell myself <laughs> at the end of grad school that you don't have to go into TV. <laughs> I think, uh, <clears throat> I think now, listen, I coming out of TV, I like we talked about earlier. I think I have so many, um, different talents and skills that came out of that world. Sure. Um, but I can remember, you know, getting to 29, 30 and my friends from high school and college, you know, they actually had savings and they actually had, you know, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> what is a 401k? What is this you're speaking of? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I felt behind the eight ball. So I don't ever want to change things. I, I think I, I am who I am because of everything I went through. For sure. But I think that knowing how fulfilled I am today as an entrepreneur, I wish I had started earlier. Love it. Perfect. Tim, this has been such a pleasure chatting with you, man. Super insightful. Uh, it's clear to hear uh, why you are successful. You and your business partners have done a fantastic job of growing this business. It's exciting to see what it becomes. And I hope I do have you in, I'm going to say five years instead of 10 years to celebrate uh, your 10-year your target. I would not be shocked if you hit that early. Uh, so, buddy, thank you for being here today and sharing your story with us. Thanks so much for having me. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. 
make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.